what evil figure comes to mind when you think of the end times? Chances are, it's the Antichrist. But that's just one of his names. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals what else you should know about this mysterious figure who will unite the world in a pretense of good, but with an agenda of evil. From Signs, here's David to introduce today's message, The Beast from the Sea. Well, you know, you have to begin a message like this and a teaching like this with words like these from the Lord Jesus, who in the Olivet Discourse said, Beware that no man deceive you. Deception is the coinage of the tribulation period. And uh, as we're going to learn today, the head deceiver, the deception itself is from the Antichrist. He's given this strange name in the book of Revelation. He's called the Beast from the Sea. Revelation chapter 13, you'll learn more about that as we go along in today's study. Don't forget you can get the package of material for this entire three-month series from davidjeremiah.org. There you will find the three study guides for the three months, the entire textbook, so to speak, 460 pages, and then also the audio packages that you can get, which covers everything that I say on the radio for three months. And you can have all of that material at your own personal disposal, and you can use it to teach others and to share it, just to review yourself. But I encourage you to get it. We prepare these materials, especially for you, because we want this not to be just a one-time, I heard it on the radio experience. We want it to be something that you grab hold of, and it becomes a part of your knowledge of the Word of God, and prophetically, especially during these days when so much is happening that we had never anticipated that we would be seeing in this moment. So be sure to go to the website and get all that information. Now today, we are going to talk about the beast from the sea. This is the antonym for the Antichrist, the great deceiver, the one who is in the place of Christ and against Christ. And uh, we begin that discussion right now. As you know, the Bible teaches that if you're a Christian, the next event on your prophetic calendar is the rapture when the Lord Jesus comes back. I've thought many times over these last days that it surely must not be too far out in the future because of all that is happening. But after the rapture, there will be a period on this earth called the period of the tribulation. And it's during that period of time that many of the events of the latter part of the book of Revelation take place. Those quote-unquote fantastic events that people have a hard time getting their arms around. I want to tell you about one of them today, and I begin with the story. Cabinet member ends crippling strike. These headlines blared across the front page of the London Times. The walkout had triggered a severe national crisis, virtually shutting down Britain for more than five weeks. When the Union of Unions demanded a 12% pay hike, a six-hour workday, and free childcare, the manufacturers finally balked, and a nationwide strike resulted. Truck and rail deliveries stopped. Riots and looting erupted, and Great Britain spiraled into chaos. When a solution seemed impossible, an unknown junior cabinet officer, a man by the name of Judas Christopher, Undersecretary of the Board of Trade, 
requested permission to meet with the heads of the unions and the businesses. And within three days, he hammered out what both sides called a win-win deal. Christopher's stunning success soon won him a widespread following, and it was only a matter of time before the prime minister's government fell and parliament elected Christopher prime minister by a landslide. But everything came crashing down when, in an instant, millions of people around the globe disappeared. I mean, the cars they'd been driving collided with other vehicles or spun off the road. Pilots vanished and their planes crashed, resulting in thousands of fatalities. Assembly lines clogged when factory machines were left unmanned. Two nuclear power plants exploded when operators vanished. And on the heels of the mass disappearance, Israel was surrounded by Islamic nations. With the Western nation in turmoil, most people assumed that no one would come to Israel's defense. A major Middle Eastern war seemed inevitable, and pundits were convinced that this time Israel would not survive. Judas Christopher flew to Jerusalem, and after conferences with both Israel and the surrounding Muslim countries, he announced the successful negotiation of a seven-year peace treaty guaranteeing protection for the Jewish people. Overnight, Judas Christopher became a hero to the Israelis. He solidified that position by declaring support for the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. An astounded world lavished praise on him for yet another spectacular success. Prime Minister Christopher stared unseeing into the blazing fireplace. He rested his chin in his hands, pondering his next move. Slowly, the room darkened and the flames flickered like the tongues of serpents. They were the only source of light in the room. The blaze shot higher and soon Christopher could make out an image within the flames, a vague but undeniable form of a man towering over him like a smoldering Goliath. The form and face were beautiful as an angel, but its features were twisted with agony. Christopher broke out into a cold sweat. The voice spoke deep and low. I know what you want, Judas Christopher. The syllables seemed to come from the depths of the universe. You want power more power until you rule the entire civilized nations of the world and I can give that power to you. Who are you? said Christopher. Why are you offering this to me? I am the true prince of this world. All the kingdoms of the earth are mine, unwittingly forfeited to me by your primeval parents. You have long been my faithful servant, Judas Christopher, though you did not know it was I whom you served. Acknowledge me as your Lord, and I will fill your entire being with myself. I will be yours, and you will be mine. Judas Christopher said, I accept. The words came quietly but fervently. The choice was much easier than he had anticipated. To refuse the one desire of his heart that would be unthinkable. It is done, the presence said. Within moments, the flames incited, the darkness lifted, and Christopher found himself alone in the room once more. When the European nations held their next annual congress, Christopher was the keynote speaker. His speech was magnificent, 
and the delegates responded with a long-standing ovation. Only minutes later, he stood on a balcony to address a huge crowd assembled on the pavilion outside the building. He smiled and waved expansively, and when the adulation subsided, he publicly renewed his commitment to the well-being and protection of Europe. All at once, in a moment, six rapid-fire rifle shots rang out. Christopher's head jerked backward, and he fell to the ground. Sirens blared, and in moments, medics rushed him to the nearest hospital. A half hour later, BBC reporter Alison Lancaster addressed a worldwide TV audience. According to doctors attending Judas Christopher, he has sustained mortal wounds, and recovery is impossible. Later that evening, Alison Lancaster again faced the TV cameras, and for the first time in her career, her voice faltered on the air. Those of you who witnessed the shooting of Prime Minister Judas Christopher this afternoon will find what I am about to report difficult to believe. She gripped the microphone in both hands, trying to hold it steady. The world watched him go down when shots were fired earlier today. But a little after five o'clock, the Prime Minister opened his eyes, got out of his bed, and walked out of the hospital on his own accord. The Congress of the European Union was still in session, and the day after Judas Christopher's recovery, the leaders of the member nations met in secret. They forged a single dominion divided into ten provinces and nominated Judas Christopher as their president. His rivals, heads of three of the nations represented, resisted vigorously, but their delegations overrode them, and Christopher won the election by a wide margin. Judas Christopher, now president-elect of the powerful ten-nation empire of Europe, returned to his London office and called Archbishop Damon Dethrow. Dethrow was a high-ranking church leader who was widely known for his work to unite all of the world's religions. Christopher got right to the point. He said, I have before me a golden opportunity, and you can be a part of it. With your widespread religious influence and my political skills, we can work together to accomplish great things. People need a worldwide government, and I can provide that. They also are ready for a worldwide religion, and you can provide that. Their need for gods to assuage their fear gives us a perfect opportunity to combine our efforts. Together we can create an irresistible force by which we can unite all people of the world as one. Will you join me in this quest? Death Row needed little persuasion. He accepted the offer and opened himself up to President Christopher's dark master. In the coming weeks, the archbishop formulated his plans, which were ultimately designed to redirect the world's worship toward Judas Christopher. First, the archbishop built a massive altar in Jerusalem, and like the prophet Elisha of old, he called down fire from heaven to ignite the sacrifice laid upon it. Next, he created an enormous statue of Judas Christopher and placed it in the Jewish temple. With thousands of people watching on site and billions more observing online and on TV, he called for the image to speak in Christopher's voice and demand that all humanity worship him alone. 
in response to these miracles, countless numbers of people around the globe turned to Christopher as their new god. Those who refused were hunted down and executed. President Christopher called Archbishop Dethrow into his office. He said, all the nations we have taken over are in economic chaos. Dethrow responded, we cannot solve the economic problem unless we manage all of the world's resources. That means we must track all trade to enforce equitable redistribution. And we can accomplish this by assigning to every person an individual number that enables him or her to participate in commerce of any kind. This means everything from international manufacturing and shipping to buying a loaf of bread at the local market. Well, that might address the economic problem, but what about the religious component? Ah, condition for receiving that number will be a signed pledge to worship you and you only. We will devise a way to use the number to monitor their adherence to the pledge. If they don't worship you, oh, what happens? Damon Dethrow chuckled. To paraphrase Thomas Hobbes, their lives will be nasty, brutal, and short. And that was the story. And I read that story. And I know that you're sitting there thinking, where in the world did he get all that stuff? Where did he come up with all that? Well, I got it all in one place. I got it right out of the book of Revelation. There's not very much that's not right according to the script except a few names here and a few words to bring it into the present realm. So that you don't leave here thinking that I made this up, I want to show you where it is in the scripture. I'm going to give you a brief but really rapid tutorial on who this Judas Christopher guy is. As you know, that's the name we gave to the Antichrist. The world ruler who comes one day and takes over this world on behalf of his master, Satan. When the Antichrist descends on the global stage, the world will be waiting to receive him. Hard to believe? Not really. For even now, if we had someone on the stage waiting to walk out and talk to us who could solve the problem with Russia and the Ukraine and solve the problems in the Middle Eastern countries and especially the war between Israel and Hamas, solve all of the issues that are going on in the war-torn nations of the world. If that person had a workable solution, do you think we would listen? Sure we would. So would everybody. And one day when things are way, way worse than they are today, such a person called the Antichrist will appear. Now the word Antichrist is only mentioned in four scriptures in the New Testament, though it is referenced in over a hundred passages of the Word of God. It is not possible to know the identity of this future ruler. In fact, the Bible tells us nobody knows who he is. So if you've been a part of the indoor Christian sport of pinning the tail on the Antichrist, get over it. Because the Bible says that he's not going to be revealed until after the rapture. And if you think you know who he is, that means you've been left behind. So you don't want to go there. Huh? While we do not know who he is, we know what he is. The Bible gives us many details. As I've said, a hundred passages in the scripture tell us about this person. Most of them in Daniel and in Revelation. There's a wealth of information about him. First of all, we are told about his preparation. In Daniel chapter 8, we read these words. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king will arise having fierce 
features, who understands sinister schemes. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. At the beginning of this period of tribulation, an ominous personality will arise. Inconspicuously at first, the Bible says he comes up from among the masses. Revelation 13:1 says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. In the book of Revelation, wherever you see the word sea, S-E-A, it usually is not in reference to bodies of water, but rather large groups of human beings. That's where we get the term the sea of humanity. When you see that word in the book of Revelation, it's a reference to the sea of humanity. So this Antichrist arises out of the sea of humanity that is alive during this period of time. His preparation. Notice also his presentation. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read this about the Antichrist. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, which is another name for the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that, now listen carefully, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so till he's taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Now, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonian churches, he gave us some important information. He said that the seven-year tribulation period during which the Antichrist will be revealed cannot happen until there is a falling away. Now, the word falling away appears only twice in the New Testament. In the other place, it's translated by the word forsaking. What Paul is saying is that before the tribulation period happens, there will be a forsaking of the traditional beliefs of the faith, that there will be a large moving away from what some people call religion, what we would call the faith. Now that comes as a surprise to many people because over our years as evangelical, we have heard people say that before Jesus comes back, there's going to be this mass revival and hundreds and thousands of people are going to come back to Jesus. And I wish I could tell you that that's true. I believe there will be many revivals before Jesus comes if he tarries. But there will not be a mass revival when many of the nations of the earth will come to Christ. In fact, the very opposite is true. Before Jesus Christ comes back, there will be a major falling away from the faith. It is only after the rapture, during the tribulation, that there is a great revival because of the two witnesses and the 144,000. Now, I would just stop for a moment and tell you that there is surely some evidence that this falling away is at least in its beginning stages. All of the statistics I read from George Barna and the other researchers tell me that we are barely holding our own as evangelicals. For instance, in the Southern Baptist Convention, which we are a part of, 
all of the numbers are very discouraging. There is a falling away from the faith. The Bible says there will be an apostasy. That's the word, actually. The actual Greek word is apostasia in the Greek language. In his Olivet Discourse, Jesus talked about this. Here's what he said. Then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawless will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now the Bible also says that before this event called the tribulation can happen and the rapture which precedes it, there's one other thing that has to take place. The Bible says that the Antichrist cannot come until the restrainer is removed. That's what it says in the Thessalonian passage we read a few moments ago. Now, who is the restrainer? Well, the restrainer is none other than the Holy Spirit. He's the one who lives within each of us. The Bible says one day the restrainer is going to be removed. When will that happen? Well, when we leave, the restrainer leaves because he lives in us. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit will be taken from this earth when the rapture of the church occurs. Will the Holy Spirit be absent? No, but he will not be present in his powerful indwelling way. He will be like he was in the Old Testament where periodically he will come upon people, but he will not be everywhere present. So listen to me now. One day the Bible says the rapture is going to happen and when the Christians go to heaven, the Holy Spirit is removed as he is now known from this earth. Can you imagine that if nothing else happened on planet earth, what would take place in the cultures of our nations? Here in our nation, the one restraining influence that holds back all hell from breaking loose in our culture are godly men and women who stand in important places and say no. But one day they'll all be gone and the Holy Spirit will be gone. The restrainer will be removed. Now the Bible says, when the restrainer is removed and the lawlessness and apostasy happens, then this one called the Antichrist will be revealed. Could the Antichrist be alive somewhere today? Absolutely. Because he's not going to be revealed as a child. He's going to be revealed as a grown-up. Since we believe the rapture could happen at any time, and if immediately after the rapture the Antichrist is revealed, he could be growing up someplace right now, probably in Europe, and in his preparation for that moment when he will walk out on the stage. Over the years I have done um, a number of studies on the Antichrist. The Bible does not tell us who he is, but it is very careful to tell us what he is. And when you read all of the information about him that's both in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, and uh, periodically mentioned a couple other places, you get a very, very clear picture of the most diabolical, clever person who ever walked on this earth. And what he can do and what he will do to deceive many, and then many will follow him to their own destruction. We're talking about the beast from the sea. We're in the middle of a two-message uh, discussion. We'll be back tomorrow. And then on Friday, we'll begin two days talking about the beast from the earth. Because the Antichrist doesn't do all his dirty work alone. He has a partner called the false prophet who heads up uh, the religious and social aspects of the tribulation. 
he is a worthy partner of the Antichrist. He's just as evil and very deceptive. So that's where we're going in the next uh, couple of days. Tomorrow we'll finish up the beast from the sea, and then on Friday and Monday we'll talk about the beast from the earth. Uh, With that in mind, let me remind you again that we have a special little resource for this month. It's called Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. It shows you some of the prophetic numbers that are in the book of Revelation and explains them in paragraphs that are real easy to understand. It's picturesque. It comes with a chart that shows you the order in which these numbers appear. And it's a good little tutorial for you if you're studying prophecy with us. I hope you ask about it when you send your gift today. And uh, we'll send it to you. It's our way of saying thank you. We're having a really good study on prophecy. I'm glad you're joining us every day. And we'll be back tomorrow. There couldn't be a more appropriate time for that than right now. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers, David's new resource that relates the numbers in Scripture to God's prophetic plan. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. All we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God, but we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. Legend has it that President Calvin Coolidge returned home from church one Sunday and his wife asked him what the sermon was about. Coolidge, famous for his brevity, replied, Sin. What did the preacher say about it, his wife asked. The president thought for a moment and said, I gathered he was against it. 
Well, if you hear a sermon about sin and have to pause to gather what the preacher said about it, then you didn't hear a biblical sermon on sin. God's view of sin has always been the same. He is definitely against it, but has also provided a way to defeat it. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's solution to sin on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.